0: Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Hold the door, say please, say thank you. Don't no steal, don't no cheat, no lie. I know you. Just to climb A lot more to that song but there's also a lot more to being humble and kind isn't there pride is the root of almost every issue in our life that we face it's the one thing that can destroy everything good about your life and it's a self imposed injury it's the Achilles heel that makes us vulnerable it's at the heart of every fight in your family It's that inner celebration when others finally get theirs, whatever theirs is, that you think they've been waiting to get for too long. Psychologists have studied it and come up with a big, long name to describe it because that's kind of what they do to justify how much they spent becoming psychologists. And the phrase that they came up with was fundamental attribution error. Now, I worked on that for a while, but what it amounts to is Every time you have the chance to attribute something good to someone else, you don't. And every time you have the chance to attribute something bad in your life, you don't. If something good happens to me, it's because I deserved it. I worked hard. I passed a test. Good for me. I studied really hard for that. I deserve that grade. If something bad happens and I don't get a good grade, well, the test wasn't fair. We hadn't covered that. I didn't have time to study. It's not my fault. It's the teacher's fault. If something happens to you that was good, you just got lucky. You passed the test, that was an easy test. Wasn't like the hard test I had to take. If you have a car accident, the sun was in my eyes. If I have a car accident, it says stupid driver. You know, he's just a bad driver. Got his license out of a Cracker Jack box, but Okay, a box of Cheerios, how's that? A lot of you may not know what Cracker Jacks are. But by contrast, instead of blaming somebody else or attributing everything good or bad in the wrong way, we invite God's blessing on our life when we choose the path of humility, when we choose to stay humble and kind. Maybe that's why Jesus summarized all that God expects of us in these two simple thoughts, love God and love others. Problem is, our pride is why it's so hard for us to live like that. And that's why God says, I want you to spend your life lifting me up to other people. But pride says, I want to spend my life lifting up myself for everybody else to see me. No wonder James would say in chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see, it really does come down to this. We have a choice in life. One causes God to oppose us, and the other results in God's blessing in our life. God couldn't make that much more clear, could he? And yet we still struggle to admit that he's right and we're not. We struggle to admit that he's right and live that way instead of living the way that we feel like in the moment, reactive and reflexively. Scripture will talk about one guy who had it figured out. There's a guy named Moses. You may have heard of him. Numbers chapter 12 verse 3 describes him this way. It says Moses was a very humble man. He was more humble than anyone else on earth. Here are a few of the things that Moses could teach us about humility. The first one is this when you grow up in a life of privilege, it can lead to pride. Over time, a life of privilege loosens our grip on our humility. Now Moses' story is something like this. He was the son of, of a Hebrew who was adopted into an Egyptian royal household as a baby. The Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrews, and then they grew afraid of them because they were having more babies faster than they would, and they were afraid they were going to, have a, they were going to become a minority. The government mandated population control by decree, declaring that every newborn Hebrew boy was to be killed at birth. He was to be thrown into the river. Moses' mother put him into a basket and floated him in the river where Pharaoh's daughter was known to spend time. She discovered the baby Moses fell in love with him because of the way he was just so stinking cute. Unlike what happens when you throw your kid and he lands on the sidewalk. But anyway... (laughs) The daughter insisted, Daddy, 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 can I keep him? He's probably thinking, how about a puppy? But because she had him wrapped around her finger, he agreed to adopt this Hebrew boy and let him grow up in the palace. Moses is raised as if he were royalty in the palace of the the king. And as a result of that, he was never told no. Consequently, the normal boundaries of what's right and wrong didn't apply to him. And so one day, his emotions got the best of him. Because, you know, that's something that we just can't identify with, right? When our emotions get the best of us and we just explode, well, that happened to him. And when he exploded, somebody died. You see, when there are no consequences to your choices, the result is pride. And when you surround yourself with everything you want, pride says, I can do anything I want. You want to bless the life of people you love? Practice saying this magical incantation over them regularly. Look them in the face and tell them no. That's pretty easy, wasn't it? See, you were expecting hocus-pocus or something like that. But look them in the face, tell them no. And then let them learn humility that comes from failing. Stop rescuing them. Let them fail. That's how they learn consequence. I've told the story before about the one little guy. I just, he just was being a boy, right? And so his mom's in the house one day, and this is a true story. It's not a preacher story, it's true. Okay? The fact that I'm a preacher just happens to be coincidental to it. He's out in the backyard, and he's climbing out of a tree, and next thing, mom hears him crying, he comes in the back door, and he's kind of bleeding all over, he's holding his arm, you know, what's wrong? She finally gets a story out of him because he's sobbing and crying, you know, and she knows he's got this towel wrapped around his neck. Aha. Uh-huh. He climbed a tree and tried to jump out of the tree because he was convinced that the towel gave him superpowers so that he could fly. So she got him washed up and, you know, got the bleeding stopped and applied a few Mickey Mouse Band-Aids. Well, I guess it should have been Superman Band-Aids. But anyway, you know, sent him back out to play again. It wasn't six minutes later. She heard him crying at the back door again. She went out. It's like, what are you doing? What happened? I fell out of the tree again. You know, Why? He says, I thought I knew what to do right this time. You need to let... People fail and learn, choices have consequences. That's why every now and then, we tell them no, and if they won't listen to no, then we let them go ahead and learn the hard way. Moses may have become the most humble man on earth, but he didn't start out that way. And knowing that should give all of us hope. But how did Moses overcome the pride of his privilege? Well, the second thing is this. If we persist in our pride, this is going to scare you. God will send you into a season of humbling. It's because we either will learn to deal with our pride ourselves, or else God will help us learn to deal with our pride. The very next day after Moses gets away, thinks he got away with murder, what he thought was private became public knowledge, and the pride of the palace was soon replaced with the despair of the desert, and he spent the next 40 years running away from his past, running away from his failure. and he spent the next 40 years serving instead of being served. He met a girl, not that those two are related, serving and met a girl, but probably. He goes to work for her father, and he becomes a shepherd. Now, in that culture, in that era, taking care of sheep was an entry-level job. It would have been similar to, do you want fries with that? And he spends the next 40 years looking after sheep. God took him out of the palace and put him into the pasture. And every day he had to deal with frustrating sheep that wouldn't listen, that were obsessed with what they wanted and following their stomach, and depended on him to be the responsible adult. You see, God knows the plans that he had for Moses, but he also knew he couldn't work with Moses' pride, which is why he sent him into a season of humbling. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that would be humbling. But does that sound familiar to any of the rest of you? Have you gone through those humiliating seasons of life in your life? It may not have been a season of humbling from God. It may have been a season of testing from Satan, just like Job experienced. But don't be too quick to dismiss what you're going through as spiritual warfare and how Satan's just hammering on you. Because it could be that God's giving you an opportunity to grow up spiritually. Remember, it's nearly impossible To look at ourselves and see our reflection of pride in the mirror. God may have you in His refining fire to burn off some of your pride. God may, just may be using the issues in your marriage that you're so quick to say, It's not me, it's them. They're driving me nuts. He may be using your financial issues to get you past saying, they're out of control in their spending. It's not my fault. You see, it's our choice to either learn humility or continue to be humiliated. And we typically think we're quick learners because that's what makes us proud, right? Especially when it comes to lessons in humility. Okay, God, I get it, back off. But isn't that just another indication of our pride? That we don't need God to teach us anymore? God tries to teach us something, and then what's our response? I know, God, I know. Get off my back. Here's the third thing Moses can teach us about humility. Humility can help you trust God even when it doesn't make sense to you. Because learning to trust God instead of what makes sense to us is an ongoing lesson in humility for Moses. God tells Moses, you need to go back to Egypt, where he killed the guy, and where they wanted to kill him. You need to walk right into that palace, Moses, where he's not welcome. And you need to tell Pharaoh what he has to do. That's going to go well, isn't it? I mean, forget Pharaoh and leader of a nation it doesn't usually go well for any of us when somebody in our family walks up and tells us what we need to start doing, does it? And then the most impossible thing happens. You need to demand the freedom of his entire labor force in the nation. Tell him that he needs to do it in obedience to God, a God that he doesn't recognize, let alone honor Right, that's going to happen. It takes some convincing. But Moses eventually decides to trust God, even though it doesn't make any sense to him. Now, there are other illustrations in Exodus 4, like when God tells him, throw down your rod or your staff, the cane that he was carrying. He did, and it turned into a snake. And then God said... Pick it up by its tail. Okay, you lost me at pick it up. (laughs) But even I know I'm not going to reach down and pick a snake up by its tail. I'm hardly going to do that if the thing's dead, let alone still alive. But he does. And lives. And even though Pharaoh refuses and rejects Moses, God keeps telling Moses... Time after time after time, you need to go back and tell him again, let my people go. Most of us in our pride don't handle reflection very well, or excuse me, don't handle rejection very well. It reflects poorly on us. God sent Moses back 10 different times because that's how many plagues were there were, right? Ten different times, Moses has to swallow his pride and go back and stand before Pharaoh one more time. And finally, Pharaoh's pride is broken by God, and he allows Moses to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. But the path that God leads them on seems to end up at a dead end known as the Red Sea. Now everyone's looking to Moses, blaming him, demanding he fix something that's out of his control. He was just trying to do the right thing, and now he's got everybody in his face blaming him and saying we'd been better off if we'd just stayed there. And in chapter 14, verse 21 of Exodus, Moses chooses again to trust God when God says, stretch out your hand over the Red Sea, and it parts right in front of him. Just when Moses needed a breakthrough, it came. But it came because he trusted God, even though it didn't make sense to him. There are a lot of other examples of God asking people to swallow their pride and trust him. Try to imagine this last one. You're Moses. You're leading people who have been slaves all of their life. God has a message for you to give them about how to honor him in the promised land. And in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, here's God's message that he wants Moses to deliver. Give me 10% of your harvest. It's holy and belongs to the Lord. Right. God wants me to preach on giving. God wants me to tell them, bring the first of every harvest to him. What do you think Moses' response would have been? How do you expect that to go? God, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Kind of like Remy saying, five daughters, really? No you don't argue with God, right? And yet Moses, if if I would have been Moses, I would have said these people have never had anything in their whole life. They're never going to go for giving up something now that they finally got a chance to build a life for themselves. And instead of building fa- or pyramids for Pharaoh, they can finally build their own life. They're They've been scraping by in Egypt. They've been living day to day on manna and quail. They're not going to go for that. They need everything they can get, and they're going to want to keep it for themselves. They're not going to tithe to you. But that's the issue for many of us, even today. Struggling to decide how much we're going to keep of what God says belongs to him. And at the heart of that is not an amount. The heart of that is our pride. Now, don't forget, James 4, God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. Some of us have more than we've ever had before. Some of us can't even fathom how much financially God has blessed us with. And some of us are mad because of what the government wants to take away from us, but yet we're still reluctant to freely give to honor God with what he says belongs to him. Don't forget what Moses learned. Humility helps you trust God, even if it doesn't make sense. Well, here's the fourth thing for you. Humility recognizes, helps us recognize that we need each other. Even when everything within us says, I can handle life on my own. If they find out I need, I'm not going to ask for help. Do you realize how embarrassing that'll be? Pride will keep us isolated. Pride will keep us quiet. Pride will keep us weak because pride will refuse to allow us to ask for help when we need it. (laughs) I remember a couple of years ago, there was a big billboard out on 33 on the way down to Dublin, right? And it gave some kind of statistic about the number of men who would die this year out of stubbornness. And underneath it said, no, I won't. (laughs) Go check yourself out. Go to the doctor when you're sick. Find out what's going on and get help. We don't need to do that. I'll just, I'll feel better tomorrow. I'll just tough it out. Yeah. There's a huge principle here of leadership. No one person can do it alone. Ask for help. If anyone could have done it without help all by himself, don't you think it would have been Jesus? And yet, 40 years in the desert will teach you, like it did Moses, that sometimes you need to ask for help because you realize, I can't do this on my own. That's why Scripture repeatedly describes or uses this phrase, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron. Aaron was his brother. God brought him the help that he needed. Now, God knew Moses could do it on his own with God's help, but Moses didn't do that, and so Moses was given the help and assistance of his own brother. Once things settle down, Moses sets himself up as the one who can resolve every dispute, and that's the way that it worked with pride, didn't it? As soon as you have a little bit of success, it just teaches you, you think, I've got this figured out. Kind of like playing golf, right, Brett? You know, you hit that one perfect ball right down the middle, and it's like, oh, now I know what I'm doing wrong. Plunk. The next one goes in the water. And that's what happens with us. That's what happened with Moses. Every time anybody had a complaint, they would always come to Moses for him to make a judgment. He was kind of a Supreme Court, you know, sheriff, all rolled into one. In Exodus 18, verse 14, when his father-in-law saw what he was doing, he pulls Moses aside. I'm sure this went well, because advice from father-in-laws usually does. He says to Moses, why are you doing this? Why are you the only judge? And why do people come to you all day long? And he goes on to warn him that trying to do all of this is just going to wear him out and the people who are waiting on him to give them an answer. But you see, that's the trap that Satan sets for us, right? He uses our pride by appealing to our sense of duty. Well, God, you called me to do this. God, you called me to lead these people. That's what I'm trying to do here. And if I don't do it, somebody else is just going to do something dumb and it'll get all messed up. and It'll take me even more time to fix it. Hmm. Remember what it was like when you were trying to clean like your mom told you to clean or your dad? And then they came to inspect the job you did. Remember what it was like when you tried to help him wash the car and he spent more time cleaning what you did than if he would just done it himself the first time? See, that's pride. It convinces us that we can do this on our own because somebody else is just going to mess it up. Hmm. Here's a reality of leadership. If you try to lead in a vacuum, you'll end up losing everything. You've heard that nature abhors a vacuum. And what that simply means is that it will all collapse in on itself. And if you try to lead all by yourself, then it eventually is going to collapse in on top of you. God's plan for leadership in his church has never been for just one person to do it all. And Paul explains this to the Ephesians church in chapter 3, that his ministry to them... Is out of a sense of duty to God. Listen to some of the things he says. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he reminds them that God's grace was given to him not just to enjoy it, but so that he would share his grace with them. In verse 4, he wrote about the mystery of Jesus as the Messiah so that they could read and understand for themselves. In verse 6, it was the mysterious grace of God that was intended to be inclusive of everyone, not just for the Jews. And in verse 7, out of humility, Paul admitted that it was the power of God at work through him, not just because of his own seminar that he went to. In verse 10, as a result, God would use the whole church to spread the story of Jesus. Not just one, but the whole church. And in verse 21, because God would use the church in this way, the whole church is who would bring him honor throughout the ages. The apostle Paul realized what God wanted to do in his life and through his life was bigger than him. And that same principle is true today. What God wants to do is bigger than us. Now, listen to his priority for the church there in in Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, the very first thing he identifies is their need of humility. That's seen in a way that they relate to each other because he talks to them about gentleness and patience. I don't remember that being any part of any of the classes on leadership that I've been a part of. Forbearing in love. If he can't get the job done, fire him. Replace him with somebody else, right? And be eager for unity, he says. And then he removes any reason for ego in verse 7 when he reminds them that God has given each one of us his grace. Each one. It's not just Paul who is the only vessel for God's grace in their life. Each and every one of us in the body of Christ has been a recipient of the grace of God. That's why in verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 4, he reminds him of God's intention, God's design, and God's desire for his church was that everyone would serve. And he, re- he describes that this way, that he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers... To equip God's people for service. It does not say to do the service for God's people. He says, This is how God's people will learn to serve. And when that happens, the body of Christ will be built up. Kind of goes back to what Ramey said earlier. They had really comfortable pews, and I was perfectly content just sitting there being entertained. But that's not what God intends, right? And not just for a church in Michigan. That's what God intends here. Verse 15, he says, "If if we'll speak the truth to each other in love, then we'll all grow up to be like Christ. And then in verse 16, the whole body depends on Christ. All of the parts of the body are joined and held together when each part does its own work the whole body grows and will be strong in love. Now, the secular business world has discovered the value of humility. They don't practice it much, but they at least have some who understand it. There's a guy named Tim Irwin. He wrote a book because that's what you do when you know more than anybody else. You write a book. He wrote a book called Derailed. And what he did was he took some of the... uh, He interviewed people who had taken businesses from nothing and just made them like Apple, you know, just more than anything else. And then they failed. And the subtitle of his book is Five Lessons from Catastrophic Failures. Here's what he said his research discovered. It would, be hard to over, excuse me, it would be hard to overstate the importance of humility and the danger of pride. Now, this isn't a preacher on Sunday morning someplace. This is a guy who's researched five, or a number of businesses and come up with five lessons of how they failed tremendously. When I speak to MBA students now, he says, I tell them that pride will derail you faster than anything else. And humility is the fast track to the executive suite. I love it when the world finally figures out and discovers what God has said in the Bible all along. Getting ready for our annual meeting, the elders have all been in agreement. Marysville Christian Church at this point in time has a pretty healthy atmosphere and environment. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Are we healthy? Yeah, we are. Can we get better? Of course we can. But we need to remember what's at stake. Pride triggers God to oppose us. Not Satan, just the work of Satan in our life that results in pride. Pride triggers the opposition of God. Humility invites God to bless us. And if we remember that moving forward, we have a much better chance of being where God needs us to be. David, want you on a praise team, join me up front, and we'll wrap up with this. As strong and independent as he was, there was a guy named Samson in the Bible that had an Achilles heel. He assumed that he could continue handling life just like he always had before. It was Samson's pride that made him careless, and it was Samson's pride that cost him everything. It wasn't just the cutting of his hair. It was the pride that said, I got this. His privilege led to his pride. His pride led to a season of humbling. And his humility is what turned him back to God. Over and over in Scripture, you see people live out this same pattern. His privilege leads to pride. The pride leads to a season of humbling. And our humility is what turns us back to God. So I guess I'd ask, does God currently have you in a season of humbling to try to teach you to rely on Him instead of yourself? Are you you living before your God just like Jesus, serving others, or are you living before your God expecting to be served by somebody else? It was Jesus who teaches us to die to self, to pick up our cross each and every day, And follow Him. He would use the illustration of baptism as symbolic of our death to our past life and the beginning of a new life of one that's united with Him. If you've gotten so into your own head that you've lost your way, repent and pray. There are elders that await for you in the prayer room to discuss anything privately that you might want to discuss and have them pray over you with if you desire their guidance that will be a good time to find it as we stand now and sing this last song, we hope you enjoyed today's message if you'd like to learn more about marysville christian church and connect with us be sure to go to our website marysvillechristian.org if you are near the marysville area we would love to have you join us on sunday morning We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.